Turn in your Bibles, if you will, again to the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18 this morning. Matthew, chapter 18. In our study this morning, we come to a bit of Jesus' teaching, which is very well known, widely misunderstood, and unfortunately generally ignored by his followers. I'm talking about Jesus' teaching concerning children. This is worthy of our time and attention this morning, I believe. Matthew 18, we're going to deal with a pretty good section, but I think it fits together. The first 14 verses, Matthew 18, verses 1 to 14, follows, I read. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands and two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the, lake, into the fire of hell. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owned a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. I think the two major truths in this section, although just a heads up, especially for your kids, your kids trying to take notes <coughs> and your parents trying to figure out where we are in the sermon, there are four, count them, four parts of the second point. Two points, but four parts of the second point. So hang on. First point is this. Jesus only accepts children. Jesus only accepts children. As we begin this passage, we encounter something called dominance hierarchy. We all know it as pecking order. It's the idea that whenever animals are put together, there's a struggle which takes place to determine the social hierarchy. In other words, everyone must know who the top chicken is and who the bottom chicken is and the rank ordering of every chicken in between. Of course, that's true of most all animals. And interestingly, it's people, people act the same way. Even God's people are not immune. So that's what's been going on here among Jesus' disciples. They had finally come to understand that Jesus is the promised Messiah. 
And as they envisioned the glory of the Messiah's kingdom, which they then knew was going to come, they began to have visions of their own greatness. What position might I hold in that coming kingdom? And who will have the highest positions? In that discussion, there may have been some friction caused by previous uh, events. Like, why did Peter, James, and John get to go to, to, to the top of the mountain with Jesus? Or there may have been uh, the kind of thought, we must be the greatest. We were chosen for that special mission. Or perhaps the failure of the disciples to heal the demon-possessed uh, boy was, was a factor. Maybe the three that had been on the Mount of Transfiguration had said to themselves, if we had been here, we could have healed him. Whatever touched it all off, the discussion was, uh, was, a was a familiar theme. Who does Jesus consider the greatest? Who will have the top positions in his kingdom? Well, Jesus doesn't put up with that nonsense for very long. He calls a little child, come here, son, come here, stand right here. And he calls his disciples, he says, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, they wanted to talk about greatness. And Jesus says, forget about determining who's the greatest in the kingdom. You need to consider whether you're even going to be in the kingdom. Because Jesus only accepts children. You say, well, that's a radical statement. That is exactly what Jesus says. Jesus only accepts children. So what is it that makes children acceptable to the Lord? As I was studying and reading a lot of different people, I, I, I began to make a list of the things that various writers suggested. These wonderful traits of children that Jesus recognizes that says, we've got to be like that. Here's a little list I, I put together. Not my thoughts, these are other people's thoughts. The children are innocent, they're pure, they're not corrupted, they're not sinful, they're meek, they're submissive, they're not, they don't seek self-advancement, they're content, they're joyful, they're humble, and they're trusting. Those assessments made me think that some theologians who write books on uh, uh, commentaries on the Bible maybe would benefit from spending more time at home with their children. <laughs> For the Bible says very clearly that children are not innocent, they're all sinners. And every parent of a two-year-old knows that kids are not necessarily meek and submissive. And not seeking self-advancement? Are you kidding? Have you ever heard how many times a child can say, mine, mine, that's mine? I think that's called self-advancement, isn't it? I actually think the list is rather humorous. Instead, Jesus seems to have two simple things, as I can figure it out, two simple things in view here. First, children are insignificant. Children are insignificant. Now, we have a pretty high view of children in our culture, but that was not necessarily the case back then. The, the Anglican New Testament scholar R.T. France noted that, quote, a child was a person of no importance in Jewish society subject to the authority of his elders, not taken seriously except as a responsibility, one to be looked after, 
not to be looked up to. And Kittle's Dictionary of New Testament of the New Testament agrees, explaining that because a child under 12 was not taught the Torah, for a rabbi to spend time with that child was regarded as a waste of time, as useless, it's interesting, as useless as a morning nap or midday wine. So when Jesus calls us to humble ourselves like a child, he's calling for a radical change in our perception of our own significance. But that's exactly what the Bible says elsewhere. In Philippians 2, we're told to have the mind of Christ, the same attitude that Jesus had when he did what? When he did not consider his equality with God something to be held on to, but made himself nothing and took on human flesh. That's insignificance. Romans 12, we're told the same thing. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. So we're to be children. And that we, that, that we're acceptable to the Lord. We are to be humbled by our insignificance. That's the first thing I see here. There's a second trait, though, that children do seem to, to, Jesus seems to recognize in children. And that is that children do seem to be trusting. I'm not saying that they think through biblical truths and come to faith. That they probably do not do. But children do tend to trust people in their lives. So if a father hands out, holds out his hands and says to his child, jump it, I'll catch you. Well, the child will, in, will analyze the physics of the situation and make an analysis of the, of the muscular tissue in the father's arms and then uh, make a calculation of whether that father is able to catch him and then, based on that, make a decision to jump. You know that's not what happens. Children don't believe like that. They don't think like that. But children do trust their daddy. And if he says, jump into my arms, they'll jump. And so in verse 6, Jesus identifies these children as those who believe or trust in me. That's what Jesus is talking about when he indicates that he only accepts children. He only accepts those who see their own insignificance and humbly trust Jesus. Dear people, we have many things that we think will endear us to the Lord. And so like the disciples of old, we jockey for position in the church. Who's the closest to the Lord? Who's more worthy of his blessing? Who's the greatest? But we're kidding ourselves. This is not the world. This is Christ's church. The first shall be last and the last first, remember. He who gives his life away will find it. He who tries to save his life will lose it. Jesus only accepts children, humble, trusting children. That's the first point. Then there's a second point here. And that is that Jesus cares for his kids. Jesus cares 
for his kids. Up to this point, Jesus has been talking about children with a real child standing there in view. But this passage is actually about more than just this young child. It's about people of all ages, the humble, the insignificant nobodies, who are trusting Jesus and therefore accepted as his children. And so the language changes here. Sometimes we'll hear Jesus talk about his little ones, who may not be physically little at all. Sometimes they're his children. Sometimes they're the lambs of his flock. But one way or another, they're the children of God, and Jesus cares for his kids. So in verses 5 to 14, this major part of this task, we see four different ways in which Jesus looks out for his kids. So I'll go through the four. The first is that the Lord says, welcome my children. The Lord insists you will welcome my children. We see in verse 5, whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. We all know that sometimes the children of wonderful people are not as wonderful as their parents. Have you ever noticed that? The same is true of Jesus' children. He didn't choose to adopt the nicest, classiest, most well-mannered kids. He chose the insignificant who in their desperation trusted him for deliverance. So that group includes outcasts and aliens and poor people and broken public sinners, people with no hope but the grace of Jesus. No wonder the bumper sticker says, Jesus, save us from your followers. But Jesus cares for those kids no matter how grown up they might be. Don't think for one moment that you can love Jesus and hate his children. He says, when you welcome them, you welcome me. I must tell you, it blesses my heart when I see Wiser Lake Chapel people doing this. I think the chapel, of, the, of the chapel's long history of welcoming the broken and the wounded and loving them back to the Lord. I think of those who truly do welcome our children week after week in all different kinds of ways. I think of those of the Congregational Care Committee that reach out to people in need in all kinds of need and provide what they need. I think of those who give up their time to go and visit the weakest of us, those who can't even make it out to church on Sunday. I think of those who are always quick to invite a newcomer to dinner or welcome people into their home. Folks, this is the road to greatness in Christ's kingdom. Humble service, not competition, not self-promotion. For Jesus requires us to do what he did with us, to welcome the nobodies of the world. That's the first thing. Then in verse 6, is the second way in which Jesus cares for his kids. He says, don't make my children stumble. Don't make my children stumble. You know, we love the notion that I am free to do whatever I please and whatever effect it has on someone else is not my problem. Oh, we love it. 
We love it. It's a central tenet of American life. I can do what I please, and if it affects you, tough. But Jesus cares for his children, and he does not give you the right to trip them up. That's what he says here. This is a huge issue. For think about who the Lord claims as his own. It's those who are trusting, like little children. Those are the ones most vulnerable to evil influences because they trust. Would you help me hunt for my puppy? Okay. But we have to be careful that we do not lead astray those who trust us. I remember many, many years ago, a pastor friend of mine was getting divorced. It was tragic. But it's his problem, right? Well, not quite. A young couple that I knew who was struggling with their marriage told me shortly after that that they had decided to get divorced too. They said, if our pastor can't make marriage work, how do, we, how do you think we could make marriage work? Oh, the Lord knows that evil abounds in the world and temptations will come. He knows that people will trip up and fail miserably. But woe to the world of sin and woe to the one who causes the weak and trusting child of God to sin. Therefore, Jesus pronounces judgment on those who would lead his children astray. Jesus says it would be better if a millstone, not, not a little uh, a small grinder that you use in your kitchen, a millstone like a donkey drags around the mill. It would be better for you to have that huge stone tied around your neck and be thrown in the water than to offend one of my children. He says, in, in fact, it would be better for you to amputate your hand and foot and gouge out your eyes and be physically, than to be physically able to cause that kind of, uh, of stumbling. It would be better for you to live as a cripple than to be thrown in hell for your influence on my children. Don't mess with Jesus' kids. And there's a third way in which Jesus cares for his children. We find it in verse 10. He says, don't look down on my little ones. Don't look down on my little ones. You know, we commonly just assume that what you see is what you get. So when we see poor, broken, weak, and, and wounded people, we may feel pity for them, but we just assume that they are the mess they appear to be. But Jesus who cares for his children, warns us to not judge so quickly. We actually should know this, for we've all heard wonderful stories about how you can't judge a book by its cover. I learned that again a little while back when my mother passed away. Some weeks before, I'd had some legal question about how things worked in Oklahoma, and so I called my mom's pastor to ask if he happened to know a local lawyer 
who could tell me about Oklahoma law and what we we're going to be dealing with when she passed away. And he gave me a name, and I called the man. And he was very, the man was very kind, and he knew my parents, and he sounded just like I would expect a small-town Oklahoma lawyer to sound, uh, kind of a semi-cowboy, good old boy, you know. Um, but he was nice, and he helped. He was helpful. So though inside my attitude was a bit condescending toward him, I was happy to have his help. It was months later, after my mom died, that on the way home from the cemetery, I got into discussion and learned that this lawyer used to be a local yokel, as I had identified him. That was until a few years ago when he was appointed a federal judge. Oh. Made me think, well, what did I say to that man? <laughs> How did I speak to that man? Don't judge a book by its cover or its accent or its hometown or its country ways. That's the point Jesus is making here. He knows that his children show their past, their brokenness, their poverty. And he knows that people will tend to treat them like what they used to be. But Jesus warns us to be careful, for there's more to his children than is obvious to us at first. Hebrews 1.14 says that angels are ministering spirits sent to serve God's children. So Jesus is saying, you may think that this motley assortment of misfits that I call my children look pretty unimpressive, look poor and wounded and show the signs of their past troubles. But don't judge the book by its cover. For in reality, my children are ministered to by angels from the Lord. Angels who have constant access to God's presence. Don't treat them like they're nobodies. They are the children of God. Jesus cares for his kids. They're not to be scorned. Finally, a fourth thing that Jesus says about how he cares for his kids. This is found in verses 12 and following. He says, don't give up on my children. Don't give up on my children. The parable of the lost sheep, which we find here, is a familiar story in the Gospels. But here in Matthew, the point is different than it is in the other Gospels. In the other Gospels, this is a story about evangelism, of how the Lord goes seeking the lost and, and, uh, and, uh, and brings the lost into the fold. But here the story is about God's persistent care for his own. This is a powerful parable. It ought to resonate with us. The shepherd that he speaks of has 99% of his flock intact. They're all bedded down. Life is good. And he realizes one sheep is missing. But realistically, the sheep was missing because he had wandered away, not because he'd been neglected. Probably was not the first time that that sheep wandered away. And really, the loss of one sheep is not going to bankrupt this shepherd. Oh, but it's not just 
one way, way were cheap to that shepherd. In John's gospel, we learn that Jesus, the good shepherd, knows his sheep by name. I always thought that was a metaphor, a little exaggeration. Until I moved here and I met Arnie Van Dyken. And I went out to his farm and I found out he named all his cows. I said, what's it? Who's this cow? That's Donna. Who's this cow? That's Debbie. That means Debbie's Don's daughter. All the D words go together, right? He called his cows by name. So this shepherd left the 99 and went in search of the wayward one. When it took time, he pressed on. When he heard nothing, he kept calling the sheep's name. He was not willing to write off this one lamb like he's just a dumb beast, a lost cause. The point is, the shepherd in this story treated that one wayward sheep just like Jesus treats you and me. He doesn't quit caring. He doesn't quit calling. He doesn't write us off. He searches till he brings us home. And then he rejoices over us. As verse 14 says, in the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of his little ones should be lost. Or as Jesus himself said in John 10, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Jesus cares for his children. So we have two simple but profound truths to take home. The first, the shocker. Jesus only accepts children, those who know they're weak, but humbly trust Jesus. Are you one of those, by the way? Are you really a child of God? Or are you just a good church person? There's a difference. Second truth, Jesus cares for his kids. This is a truth that warns us that we better care too. But if we are one of his humble, trusting children, this is a truth that brings comfort to our souls. For Jesus shows his care for his children in four ways. He demands that we welcome them. He warns that we not trip them up and cause them to sin. He forbids us to look down on them as if we could judge a book by its cover. And he never gives up on his little ones, never writes them off as a lost cause, and dear child of God, he will not give up on you either. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Father, that it's true. For if you were inclined to give up on us, most of us would have to say you would have given up already. 
And we thank you that you don't just not give up on us, but that you give yourself to watching over us and protecting us and holding us close. So may we not be so wavered, Lord. And may we think about your children as you think about your children. Delight to be one. Delight in those, no matter how broken and hurting they look. Delight in those that you've called to yourself. Help us, Lord. Amen.